Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange yet again. And today we are featuring a special guest episode. Yes, from time to time here on the Pure Report, I hand aside the hosting duties to certain individuals that approach me and want to get into the Pure Report portfolio of episodes. And today I'm really excited to present you with volume one of a better science series that our good friend Justin Emerson, a sometimes guest here on the program, is going to be featuring with great guest speakers. Justin is a principal technology evangelist here at Pure Living on the Flashblade team, and really exciting to be bringing this series to you. Volume one here is going to be all around direct flash. What are our key differentiating technologies and how we differentiate with a custom flash product that goes into the arrays. Hari Kanan from the platform team is Justin's guest on this episode. I do hope you enjoy this. Look forward in the future for additional episodes coming out in the Better Science series. There's also an accompanying blog if you want to go to blog.purestorage.com and get more detail than what is covered on these podcasts. But I do hope you enjoy this guest episode. And now I will hand it over to Justin to take you through the program. Hello, everyone. Welcome to volume one of our Better Science podcast series. I'm your host, Justin Emerson, Principal Technology Evangelist here at Pure Storage. Better Science is core to our strategy here at Pure Storage, where we think that data storage is still high technology, not a commodity. The purpose of this series of videos, blogs, and podcasts is to help shine light on some of the incredible engineering work that goes on here at Pure and highlight some of the great people behind that work. Volume one of Better Science is all about direct flash, one of our key differentiating technologies that is now built into all our flash storage products at Pure. We've written a pretty comprehensive article on what direct flash is, but on this podcast, we're going to talk to someone who's been close to direct flash since its inception and learn a bit more about the why and the how. With that in mind, I'm excited to introduce Hari Kanan. Uh, Hari, you want to introduce yourself? Hi. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. I'm a technical director of engineering at Pure, and I serve as the platform architect for the Flashblade product. And how long have you been at Pure? I'm going on nine years, actually. I was one of the founding members of the Flashblade project, or Project Iridium, as we called it back then, That's when right. we were a startup within a startup. Um, it's been extremely gratifying and humbling to be part of this growth ramp from what started off as a kernel of an idea through the first platform, which has done well over a billion dollars in sales. And finally, to our recent announcement of Flashblade S, which is this revolutionary update to the product line that expands Flashblade's performance and capacity envelope significantly. And one of the most exciting things about Flashblade S is that it now uses the same direct flash technology as the rest of our yep. portfolio, yep. right? That's right. So, so maybe um, not to, you know, if, if folks want to really deep dive into what direct flash is, um, please feel free to read the blog that's associated with this podcast. But just super briefly to set the table, what, what is direct flash? What do we mean when we say direct flash? Well, uh, the name's a bit of a giveaway, really, because right? <laughs> it, it's all about communicating directly to flash. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, it, but fundamentally, it's our philosophy. It's our engineering philosophy of how we want to use NAND flash efficiently in storage systems. We get rid of unnecessary translation layers between the storage system and the flash itself to unlock all the inherent capacity and parallelism performance available in the flash chips. 
So by up-leveling all of flash management, so be that I.O. scheduling or allocation of data or where leveling or garbage collection and all of these background tasks that have to happen to keep the NAND healthy, by up-leveling all of that to the system level, as opposed to doing them locally within drives, we're able to make globally good decisions um, as opposed to having sort of locally suboptimal points. Mm -hmm. And so I guess maybe to understand why that's really important, we should take a step back and, and sort of talk about, you know, when we first started at Pure Storage, we used um, SSDs, right. solid state drives in our in our flash array product. Yep. Um, but what are the challenges that SSDs bring to enterprise storage systems, like a system that's composed of many drives? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, modern SSDs really are an engineering marvel. Um, they provide the illusion of being able to support random 4K, random 4K writes. But under the hood, they have nearly an impossible job because NAND is extremely complex. It's complicated in the way it's organized. You have all these rules as to how you can write to NAND. So you write NAND by filling out pages at a time, and these pages are typically 16 kilobytes in size. Multiple pages comprise a block, and that's the granule at which you have to program NAND. Uh, so you fill out these consecutive pages in what's called as this, this erase block. An erase block can be really large, you know, multiple tens to maybe even 100 megabytes. So that could be hundreds of pages in a single block. Or thousands of pages. Right? So SSDs abstract this away from the end user by setting aside some space that's called as over-provision space, or OP, um, to sync writes from the client, because you want to make sure that your client isn't left hanging while you're trying mm -hmm. to fill out all this complex geometry that sits behind. Um, so this OP space is, is kept aside to sync writes and then collate them into the remainder of Flash once enough data is collected. This over-provision space can be really large. It can be as large as 20% of the total number of bits in an SSD. Additionally, this packaging of bits is done within the SSD with no sense for the provenance of data. So um, data with different lifetimes um, all tend to get commingled together. Mm -hmm. And these random overwrites that the SSD has to perform create data fragmentation. So these random overwrites cause write amplification that ends up eating away at precious endurance cycles. Endurance cycles are defined as the number of times NAND can be cycled, number of times you can, you can assigned charge to an AND cell. And, and, and write amplification is, so if, if you're telling an, an SSD, please write this piece of data, write amplification is a factor by which how many actual writes under the covers it's doing. So a write amplification factor of, for example, two, means that every time you write a bit, you've actually burned two bits of writes on the drive. Right? Correct, that's, that's correct. And um, why that happens is, is in, in a sense because of garbage collection, because you've packed all of these pieces of data from different sources together. Mm -hmm. And if you need to make an overwrite, if you have to delete some piece of data, then you have to repackage all of the data, all of the data that lives around the, the piece of data that you just um, mm -hmm. modified. Uh, and that in effect is a right is a right amplification cycle. So you benefit by being able to pack data that lives together into the same NAND blocks, mm -hmm. which an SSD, of course, doesn't have any context around. Right. Let, let's talk about that. So, so you know, a solid state disk has to sort of assume the worst case scenario, right? It has Correct. to sort of just say, hey, I could be thrown any kind of workload. I could be thrown a, a random 4K write stream. I could be asked to do a large sequential read. But um, 
basically I have to be able to respond to each of those requests in a way that conforms to the way a hard drive responds, which is just with individually byte addressable uh, block addresses. Right? Absolutely. And, 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 and that's precisely why they need uh, a ton of DRAM per um, per SSD in order to manage all of these complicated mappings. Mm -hmm. Because you're providing this illusion to the external world that you're able to support these sort of random small writes, which in reality, the SSD isn't able to do. Uh, so a typical SSD has maybe a gigabyte of DRAM for every terabyte of NAND. And you can see how that adds up pretty quickly if you're looking at right. really large drives. Um, and these structural costs, so they're just endemic to the drives, and that causes a scaling impediment. And an SSD is much more complicated under the covers than, say, a traditional hard drive, right? Because traditional hard drives, yeah, they do some stuff where it's like, hey, let's remap these bad sectors and whatnot. But to a pretty accurate degree, they map their, their logical address space maps pretty cleanly onto the physical address space of the underlying right. hard drive, right? Correct. And then you get into shingled magnetic recording yeah. and all these other fancy things. But if we're just talking about traditional hard drives, which and, and shingled magnetic drives have the same challenges in some ways that, yep. that flash drives do, right? But, um, but, but essentially, this is all because there's all this complexity to maintain the illusion that Correct. it's a hard drive when really every single SSD is kind of like a storage array in a box, right? It, it is with extremely complicated rules around what can be written and how it can be written. Um, and it's not just from an allocation perspective, it's also from a scheduling perspective. When you get a, a wafer of NAND out of a fabrication facility, those wafers get chopped up into what are called as dye or LUNs. Those dye then get packaged into chips, and those are the chips that you place on a PCB. A dye is the unit of parallelism within uh, within an SSD. So a dye can only have one outstanding operation at any point in time. Mm -hmm. Now, there's such a large variance in the latency of these operations. Reads are fast, but erases or program cycles are extremely long. And getting so, longer. And they're getting longer as you go from MLC to TLC to QLC. So the SSD has to manage all of these complex geometries and complex scheduling rules around when to schedule a read versus a background erase or write, et cetera, with absolutely no context of what's happening at the system level. So it's extremely complicated. So you know, when, when Pure first started, we were really in the era of SLC and MLC drives, right? So these problems weren't nearly as um, pervasive, but when we started, right, we we said, well, we built a, a product flash array, and initially we used um, basically consumer SSDs, and the reason we did that was we all, we recognized at that point that the intelligence people were building into what they called enterprise MLC drives at the time was a, was this problem in its in its nascency, right? It Correct. was, let's build all this intelligence into the drive. And we looked at it and said, no, let's take simpler SSDs and let's build intelligence in software. So what did we learn from our first generations of Flash Array, the, the, the FA300, FA400, and then um, the Flash Array M, which sort of started our, our modular architecture on Flash Array? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we used SATA SSDs in the pre-NVMe world and we, mm. we threw a lot of software on there in order to ensure that all of the drives behaved well and we were able to get 
better properties than what a single SSD would be capable of providing. So our Flash Array pl M platform that we launched in 2015 was forward-looking in the sense that while it launched with uh, SAS drives, our teams had the foresight to pre-wire it for NVMe. So when we came out with Direct Flash on in Flash Blade in 2016, we took those ideas quickly to Flash Array, and then we launched the mm -hmm. Flash Array X in 2017 or so, which had NVMe in our Direct Flash modules plugged uh, that, that could go back and then plug directly into the chassis because it was all pre-wired for it. Yeah, and and and, and actually that chassis that launched with the Flash Array M is, is still the chassis in use today by it the, the X and the C. Correct. The Flash Array X and Flash Array C. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah so we, we learned a lot about the challenges of dealing with commodity SSDs. Uh, you're right that uh, back in that time frame, the, the NAND that we were using, such as MLC, was definitely more forgiving than some of the NANDs that we're looking at today with, with QLC. Forgiving in the sense of being able to tolerate way more endurance cycles. Right. So it was, while, like, it was like building a house out of you know, steel and rebar concrete absolutely. versus like paper mache and over Adobe. Provision. It was way over provision <laughs> for what we needed. Right. But that allowed for way more slop. So if you weren't building out of direct flash, yeah, you could kind of make it work. You could kind of glue stuff together and, mm -hmm. and, and make it work. Um, like longevity of the drive wasn't your single biggest uh, concern just because there were spare cycles to go around. Mm -hmm. But we from right from the beginning, we learned that performance was hard to do. You could get reasonable latencies, but getting consistent tail latencies was almost impossible because every so often you'd have a background task that would go and lock up one of those flash die. And in order to deal with that, we had to perform really complicated um, acrobatics in our software. We had to go and sometimes pause the operation or we had to go and sometimes even rebuild it from parity because there was this background garbage collection erased that say had locked up a die for tens of milliseconds. And we could only know that by observation. Exactly, because these are black boxes that we're dealing with. We have no sense for what scheduling decisions are being made within the SSD, and we have no control over them. Yeah. So um, what we could do is we could say, this IO is taking a really long time. It must be stuck behind some internal media management function of the drop. Correct, and that so that was completely heuristic based. It would change from vintage of SSD from one to the other across different vendors, perhaps even across different firmware. So it's extremely challenging to get this mm -hmm. right. Uh, it's extremely challenging to get consistent latency. Um, and we also saw by virtue of um, some of the things that we were doing, we were getting much lower write amplification. We've already spoken uh, mm -hmm. briefly about that. And that write amplification sort of directly translated over to improvement in performance. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about this is this is an, in a direct flash world. When we're comparing sort of the flash array product running with uh, off-the-shelf SSDs to when, when we were started coming out with um, MLC-based direct flash modules, our write performance was significantly better because you had just had fewer operations to contend with in the back end. Yeah, so the, best, to, the, the, the fastest I.O. is the one you don't have to do. Exactly. So we're able to light up all of those flash channels much more efficiently mm -hmm. uh, than we were previously able to do. Yeah. So so that we sort of learned a lot from that experience. And so like looking at that problem that we had to solve heuristically, like we had to build like a flash personality like layer or a whole, a whole matrix of information to help us understand that. So. We looked at that and then we said, okay, there, there's got to be a better way to do it. And that's when the FlashBlade team comes in and says, well, we're building this, you know, different form factor system. It's not going to have, you know, two and a half inch form factor right. drives right. that we're going to plug into it. So 
that sort of gives us a clean slate to work with. So what was that experience like? Like when you sat down and said, okay, how would we do this better based upon everything we've learned from Flash Array? What was sort of the, what was the methodology behind going about that? Uh, yeah, we so we started down this direct flash path late 2013, so with the inception of the flash blade. That's program. almost 10 years ago. It is, yeah, it's almost 10 years ago. Um, wow, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so when back when we started flash blade, we had learned enough from the flash array product to know about these problems, uh, to know about the all of the scheduling problems that we've already spoken about. Um, so we were pretty clear that we had to go and up-level all NAND management to the system layer. Uh, but if you look back to 2013, well, NVMe really hadn't matured at that point of time. Um, we were confident that for the space that we were looking to operate in, we we needed to build really large systems. We wanted to go and add gobs of flash behind individual controllers with the technology at the time couldn't support. So I mean, basically there were no flash controllers out there that could handle the amount of flash that we were trying to throw at it. And drives around that time were you know single digit terabytes, right? Yeah, at best. And, mm-hmm. and when we came out with uh, Flash Blade, we came out with eight terabytes uh, as our first blade, and we quickly followed that with a 52 terabyte blade. Uh, that, that's, that was something that you couldn't even buy. Yeah, that was unprecedented at the time. It, it, it was, it was. Um, and building to that scale forced us to innovate in both software and hardware. So we, had, we built our own Flash controller out of an FPGA to get to really large number of Flash channels that were able to light up simultaneously. Um, and we innovated on software too with all of the direct Flash stuff of up-leveling all NAND management out of the drive. Since we, um, since we had gotten rid of the traditional Flash controller, we were surgically precise in what functionality needed to live on the FPGA. Um, and we up-leveled everything else that needed more compute or more context of the system. We up-leveled that to our host processors where we could do a much more mm-hmm. efficient job of running them. So I had heard at one point that it was like, let's take what purity the operating system we ran on FlashArray was, and let's sort of take the most low-level parts of it, and then let's put that in the hardware of the FPGA. And then sort of put the like the higher level system things in in what was our sort of main system processor on each blade. Is that sort of a fair kind of analogy? Um, I, I mean, I would take that even further. I'd say that the stuff that actually ran on the FPGA or, or the stuff that ran on hardware were the the bits and pieces that were required to keep the flash happy. Mm. So how do you light up the flash? How do you make low level scheduling decisions? What kind of error correction do you add to to the flash? Do you do encryption? Um, Those were the kind of decisions we were making within the FPGA. So so it was more like an SSD controller replacement, but in a way that was much more scalable, much more, had much more parallelism. Correct. Much more scalable, much more parallelism, but also removing functionality that an SSD controller would typically do. Like the SSD controller would handle allocation. All right. That's that's why you have over provisioning within drives, because mm-hmm. the SSD controller is maintaining all these complicated maps of metadata of, well, I'm going to throw your data here, but then I'm going to garbage collect it and then move it somewhere else more efficiently. All of that stuff, if you up-level to the system layer, then we're able to 
collect much more data because we're doing it at you know petabyte or now even exabyte scale. Um, we're able to collect larger pieces of data and we're able to write more efficiently to the NAND um, in line with the NAND geometries. And we're not sending, we're not dribbling down small writes as an SSD is able is is forced to handle. So by virtue of that, we got rid of a ton of complexity that traditionally lives within the SSD, and we moved that to the system level where we had much better context. So uh, that also helped from a simplicity and a reliability perspective because the amount of complicated logic running on our equivalent of the SSD, which we call the storage unit or the direct flash module on in flash array, that was far less than what traditionally runs on an SSD. And that's paid huge dividends from that point on in terms of reducing the blast radius of failures, of ensuring that uh, failures don't take down our storage as often. And, and we've seen this in when we chart our failure rates versus industry SSD failure rates. So, so we looked, uh, you mentioned sort of the storage unit versus the direct flash modules. So the first product that we sort of brought to market with this technology was, um, was FlashBlade. But then, as you mentioned earlier, we sort of quickly brought that technology back over to Flash Array. And so that was the launch of the Flash Array X, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we quickly incorporated the same philosophy on Flash Array X. Um, I mean, I'd say that the physical considerations of the two product lines were different. I mean, they had completely different chassis. Flash Array had pluggable storage modules, and we had already pre-wired them for NVMe, like I described. So um, in some sense, the 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 physical geometry of the direct flash module was birthed like well before we built our first direct flash module right because we had to fit it within the same chassis uh, but the logical cons constructs and the concepts stayed the same um, so we the lowest layers differed a little bit, uh, but we started out on both products supporting MLC NAND, um, which was two bits per cell. Uh, and we've since supported multiple vintages across different vendors. Um, we've across both of these product lines, we've gone from MLC to TLC, which is three bits per cell, uh, and to now QLC. We've been shipping QLC on our Flash Array C product for about 18 months now. And with the recent announcement of Flash Blade S, we've brought QLC to the Flash Blade product line too. So we've gone through three different, gener and, I, and I say three generations, but that's actually selling it short. We've gone through three different um, major seismic shifts, seismic shifts of NAND, <laughs> but in each of those, right, the, the, the first MLC drives that we shipped were very different from the last MLC drives that we shipped, Correct. and even more so with TLC, Correct. right? Yeah. One of the complications with NAND is um, it's a bit of the Wild West when you look at vintage to vintage differences. Aside from page sizes, which are usually the same, but they're not always the same, there really is no standard around having the same size of a block or the same size of a die. So even within the same LC, like you say, like within mm -hmm. the same MLC, going from one vintage to the next, even within the same vendor, could have completely different properties and require uh, a lot of work on the vendor's end, which is our end, to manage them all sort of seamlessly. So that's something interesting you mentioned on the vendor's end, which is our end. If, take a little detour here. You mentioned before, like, you know, you're, you're getting all these dyes of flash on, on the wafers, and then you're taking those and you're building them into packages, and then those are getting shipped. But, right, but we're building our own drives here, right? So we're Correct. not buying a drive. We're buying the NAND and then actually manufacturing our own, our own drives. Correct. And that in combination with our telemetry that we get back, which goes all the way down to the individual statistics that we can get out of the direct flash modules, you know, I, 
some people would say, well, why is Pure building their own drives? How, why could they build a drive better than somebody that's making the NAND, right? And and the answer is because, you know, I think Pete Kirkpatrick, who mentioned this uh, on a on a on a prior um, conversation we had, said it's a matter of scope, right? Our scope right. is very different to a drive manufacturer. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, we do a really good job at this, but I'd say that our secret sauce isn't packaging, right? It's not packaging and NAND chips together, right. slapping yeah. them on a PCB. Yeah, I mean, we do a good job. People, Anybody can do this. Right. Our secret sauce is in marrying that with our flash management software that lives at ArrayScale. So while we may have the same number of chips as a commodity SSD, we're able to extract way more from those chips by virtue of being surgically precise about what runs where, what runs on the drive and mm -hmm. what runs at the system level. I mentioned earlier that SSDs have over-provisioning, maybe as much as 20%. That we don't have. So for the same number of chips, you probably get 20% more bits on a pure direct flash module. The performance characteristics are way different. Um, the power characteristics are different because, again, we're being really power efficient. We're being really precise in how we light up these dyes, and we're monitoring this constantly. And we don't have, you know, like you said, gigabytes or terabytes of, of, of DRAM exactly. that we have to maintain metadata mappings in, in the drive. Correct. So that helps you from a power efficiency perspective. It helps you from a cost efficiency perspective mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, our largest drive today is 48 terabytes, which if you had to buy something equivalent off the shelf, that would be roughly 48 terabytes of DRAM. And if you've been paying <laughs> attention to the market, well, DRAM prices haven't really been scaling the yeah, last that's, that's as much, much as, a, as a medium-sized server. <laughs> it is, it is. And so imagine throwing that on every single SSD of yours. Yeah. And now play that forward. Look, look at uh, the future where maybe you have 100 terabyte SSDs. That starts becoming a server right there. Right. Maybe you need eight memory channels. Would you need a whole <laughs> Xeon yeah. CPU down there? And uh, this, this gets really expensive fast. And we're, you know, whereas a drive manufacturer, which, which like you said, like modern SSDs are incredible feats of engineering in a very small space. Um, but they're not going to get the same kind of phone home telemetry that we do because usually the only time they see a drive is when it's gone bad and it's come back to them for for some kind of you know fix or or refurbishment or analysis right yeah absolutely i think that's that's a good point we've we now see so much nand that i think we sometimes find flaws in nand chips way sooner than the vendors themselves do uh, and this is because we are entirely purpose built we have two applications, really, our flash array stack and our flash blade stack, which at the core aren't that different from each other. But we're, we're designing for specific applications in mind. So we are extremely precise in the type of telemetry that we collect and in how that's plumbed through the entire stack. Um, because uh, yes, vendors sometimes don't find out about these failures uh, because to be able to do so, you, you have to be able to observe them at the system level, map them down to individual components. Like you have to be able to map a failure somewhere down to, oh, this NAND chip has this bad SRAM cell that I wasn't expecting. Maybe there's no error protection on this. Maybe that's a grown defect, et cetera. And that requires a lot of telemetry, but also a lot of skill across the entire stack to be able to debug it that precisely. You have to be able to see a ton of NAND, which we do. We've been shipping uh, direct flash, like I said, for at least the last five, six years. So that's multiple exabytes worth of direct flash phone home logs that we know, that we, that we process constantly. 
We've seen this across uh, vendors, we've seen this across vintages, and we're constantly monitoring how NAND ages, because the way NAND behaves on day one is likely to be entirely different from the way it behaves three years in, in, in the field. Uh, at different temperature corners under different performance characteristics. So it's only by virtue of constantly monitoring this that we're able to be um, really accurate in terms of the low-level NAND management functions that we need to go and perform. Uh, for instance, we're able to tweak the voltages at which we read the NAND cells. And we, we, we're doing this proactively. So we look at how NAND is behaving, and if we start seeing certain patterns, then we'll go and update our software to adjust the voltages that we're reading these NAND cells at. And we're able to do this because of our intensive uh, telemetry, because of this large telemetry system that we've set up. Um, this is almost impossible to do with commodity SSDs. It's hard enough to figure out what SSD version and what vendor is running on a large system, leave alone get firmware drops from them five years into the future and precisely apply them to those SSDs. And then make sure that doesn't break anything higher up in the system that exactly. may have been reliant on certain edge case you know, characteristics it, and, it, and exactly. how they would, Because yeah. imagine if you're a vendor that's just running with commodity SSDs, you have, I don't know, 10 different flavors of them out there. You're not going to be running uh, firmware qualifications through their lifetime of these SSDs on every single vintage of that. That's, that's an impossible characterization task. So yeah, I think we get a ton of benefits from being able to simplify the stack A so we have far fewer failure modes, but also create this really deep telemetry that gives us information about how NAND is behaving. So you mentioned there um, you know, that we now have direct flash on um, on FlashBlade S, which which is the the new product that we just announced uh, in in June of, of 2022, um, and you were so so you're part of the platform business unit within within Pure right. here, and yeah. so that for listeners at a certain point we we unified the hardware engineering teams for for our different products, right? right? Yes. And so one of the reasons we did that was to help drive commonality and um, efficiency across our different platforms. And so that I'm assuming that Flashblade S and some of the architecture around it was a sort of direct result of one of those of achieving that goal. Yes, yes, definitely. I, I'd say that um, that's especially true from the NAND perspective, from the direct flash perspective. Prior to this, I mentioned that we we did we did have two physical uh, manifestations of direct flash that were different on the Flashblade and Flash Array product lines. With Flashblade S, we've now unified onto a common pluggable module, uh, and that's used both on Flash Array C, which is our QLC drives, and on Flashblade S. Dealing with NAND is hard. We've done a really good job, but then by unifying our efforts across the teams, we're able to get even more leverage. There is um, We've sort of briefly hinted at this, but there really is an exponential uh, jump in the complexity uh, as you add more bits per cell. Like going from MLC to TLC to QLC, you've probably just doubled your you have doubled your density going from MLC to QLC, but the complexity that you introduce is an order of magnitude higher. Yeah. Like your endurance, the number of cycles you can tolerate, well, that's maybe a tenth or a hundredth. Um, your latency has gone up maybe 20 to 50 times. So all of that implies that you have to be um, 
way more precise and you have to have way more characterization data to make QLC tick the way we do. So it made a ton of sense for us to uh, unify our resources uh, in, in on that front. And it's not just NAND. I think we, we've found a, a lot of benefit from unifying our resources and having similar design principles across the higher levels of the hardware platform as well. And that's down to stuff like what type of uh, compute platform do you pick? How how does how is the BIOS architected? What type of network chips do you do you pick? Uh, what what's running in your kernel, etc. And and that's sort of why we made this move to have a unified mm -hmm. platform team that supports both our Flashray and Flashblade product lines. Yeah. So when so when Flashblade first started out, part of its charter was to build this sort of unique hardware platform because functionally at the time there was no other way to achieve the goals that it wanted. Correct. Right. Yes. That's and right. so now we're looking again, kind of at a clean sheet design in, a, in from a hardware standpoint, and we're saying, okay, so hardware has sort of caught up in a way to where we wanted Flashblade to be when we launched it six years ago. That's right. But now we can say, all right, so let's take everything we learned from Flashblade. Let's take all the progress that we've made on the Flash Array product line over these intervening years since the release of the M and the X and so forth, and let's take the best of both worlds and build this, this new product, which coincidentally looks a lot like the Flash Array XL from the outside too, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right, huh? Funny. <laughs> funny, funny you say that, right? Uh, I think Rob Lee, our CTO, says it, says it well when he says that this is the platform that our software always wanted to run on, but we couldn't build because we didn't have right. the technology five, six years ago. Well, actually 2013 when we started, yeah. so 10 years ago nearly. Yeah. Um, so this is sort of a, it's a natural point of unison between the two product lines. Uh, and it, yes, I think the bezel is just one of those yeah. <laughs> that looks kind of similar. I like to say it's dark yourself. mode and light mode. There it's you just, go. You just to flip a switch there and you, then you, get, you get the different products. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good point you mentioned. So, so Flashery C, which is our you know, capacity optimized Flashery that uses QLC drives, those are the same drives that were shipping in, in Flashery S um, at this moment in time, which is, which is shortly after launch. But you know, now that we are using the same modules in all of our products, some of them may be TLC based, some of them may be QLC based, and they may have different sizes and other characteristics, but it means that now we have sort of one NAND qualification or design pipeline, right? That's that's right. Correct. Um, we do have one pipeline. I think this way we have sort of well, we do support multiple vendors. We're constantly looking across generations, mm -hmm. uh, yes. But at, at least all of our NAND characterization, NAND firmware development, all of that is unified across our product lines. Um, and we're building our drives to spec for both sort of Flash Array and the Flashblade personas. So as someone who was involved with the original Flashblade, was um, you know, involved with the introduction of the Direct Flash module, you mentioned you know, it's, it's kind of the platform that we always wanted to design. What was the personal experience bringing Direct Flash back to Flashblade, which was which was where it was its roots? So uh, yeah, to be fair, <laughs> Direct Flash never really left Flashblade. Right. Um, we've like like we mentioned, right? We've repackaged it into this modular form factor that's now shared across both the Flashray and the Flashblade product lines. Um, so it's 
from that standpoint, it's a question of changing the physical form factor. But in terms of the capabilities that it en enables on Flash Bladers, I mean, I think that's part of what's really exciting about this new product, because this this has allowed us to jump onto our tested QLC technology. Um, so we've gotten significantly denser uh, and larger on Flash Bladers. So like our capacity has gone up a factor of two and a half times. We're way more power efficient. I mean, that's one. That's something we haven't spoken about just yet, but. The ability to build larger flash modules directly correlates to improvements we make in power efficiency. Because adding more flash doesn't really burn that much more power, but it allows us to get way more power efficient in our ability to pack these bits much denser and reduce your overall footprint. So we're bringing all of this to Flash Blade, which already was sort of best in class in terms of the performance and capacity levels that it, it had, but we're making this quantum leap there, if you will, of significantly improving its performance capabilities and its density, power efficiency, et cetera. So that's been great to see. And that's been a project that's been, you know, how many years in the works, right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think we were going back and looking through when we started whiteboarding this, and it's probably three to three and a half years. I'd say just around three years ago, we finalized the final architecture of the system. Um, we didn't have a name back then. We, yeah. we were still looking at alternatives. Uh, we've probably been developing this chassis and software in earnest over the last two and a half to two and three quarter years. So it's been quite the journey. And, and that actually means that the design of it predated the launch of Flasher AC? That's right, yeah. So we were making a big bet on, you know, we hadn't even shipped a QLC drive yet. Was QLC part of the initial like design it choice? It was, it was always part of the initial design choice. Oh, when that's, we built... that's, that's brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, we've, we've made those big bets at Pure. It's, it's not too dissimilar from the, the original Flashblade bet, which mm -hmm. was when Flash Array was still this fledgling product, Pure's management sought saw it uh, prudent to go and fund this whole other program. Uh, and similar to that, we hadn't, like, it's a good point, we hadn't yet launched QLC, we were, we were just beginning to work on it, and we, but we knew that that was the future. We knew that we could make it work. Yeah, we um, have the roadmaps from all of our Flash vendor partners and everything, so we know generational changes, and we know, okay, they're gonna move to this number of stacks in, in this year kind of thing, right? Correct, And but we also had the confidence in our being able to work around the, um, the challenges that QLC would impose and be able to work around them efficiently, mm -hmm. which is why you see that our products don't have these decoupling layers. Like if you weren't building a product out of direct flash, well, you're really at the mercy of, a, of the SSD. And with QLC, that's really hard to manage. So what you sometimes find people doing are adding decoupling layers uh, between the rest of the system and the QLC drives themselves. Yeah. Or another layer of indirection. Another layer right? of indirection and well, if we've learned anything about tiering, it's that tiers aren't great, <laughs> right? You you don't have consistent performance. The moment you spill out from your tier, your I mean, the wheels come off the system. Um, at some at some point, there's an edge case that will be at the speed of the slower tier. Correct. In no matter what you do. Exactly. And we find that it's important to have really good latency, but it's even more important to have consistent consistency. Latency. Yeah. So that's actually a really good segue to. We've talked a lot about the technology of Direct Flash, about how it's in our products now, but what advantage does that give customers? I think one, you mentioned power efficiency, right? right. Um, two, you mentioned performance. What, what are the other like advantages customers get out of, out of using a platform with Direct Flash? Yeah, I'd say that we fundamentally believe that 
flash is the future in the data center, and it is really our mission to take over that last bastion of hard drives. Um, so QLC provides this leap forward in density and economics. So there's better performance if you can make it work efficiently, mm -hmm. uh, better reliability than spinning disk for sure, um, much better power efficiency. We've spoken about spoken about that. Um, the advantage to our customers really is that with direct flash we can actually unlock these benefits. If you don't have direct flash, like making QLC work is hard, given everything we've discussed. So you have this layer of indirection, you have inefficiencies from a structural perspective, right? Because you have, you're supporting uh, yet another technology in there which burns additional power, which adds additional cost to the system. Direct flash is really our cheat code, if you will, that unlocks all of this potential of the flash. It's how it's how we see the matrix. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see all those ones and zeros floating yeah. down. <laughs> so, um, to the customer, I'd say that this is your boost in efficiencies, but space, cost, power, performance, reliability, et cetera. Um, and also, direct flash really is what will unlock us to even double down on this going forward. We've spoken about structural limitations with off-the-shelf SSDs and the fact that you have to scale DRAM, the fact that you lose a large percentage of your bits due to over-provisioning. All right, so we're building 48 terabyte QLC drives right now. Fast forward to drives that are twice or three times the size. The amount of uh, dollars, watts, um, space that goes into those uh, unnecessary structural costs that have to scale uh, is going to become staggering. So the so the, the the advantages we have are only going to become greater as drive sizes increase over Correct. time. The corollary to that is that we are uniquely positioned to even build those larger drives because we can afford to just grow our NAND without having to grow everything else that goes with it. You don't have to add more DRAM or you don't have to add over provisioning, et cetera. We can be really efficient and that efficiency translates to even better power efficiency, even better space and cost efficiency. Yeah, we, we've looked at the the increase in, in hard drive sizes over time, right? Really, the, the shock to the system was when they stopped doubling, right. when they went from two terabytes to three terabytes, and then right. everyone said, uh-oh, that's a 50% increase, not a 100% increase. Correct. And then that percentage has only gotten worse because they just go up by one or two terabytes every certain exactly. number of years. And, exactly. and they're talking about, well, maybe by, I think, 2025 or 2026, they might have a you know a 30 terabyte drive. Right. Okay. Well, we're shipping, like you said, a 48 terabyte drive today. What are we going to be shipping in 2025 or 2026? It's probably even larger than that. Right. And then on the SSD side, right, the largest roughly, you know, not counting exotic three and a half inch form factor stuff that maybe is only for hyperscale, you know, the, the largest drive that we see sort of in the market as a general purpose drive or, or even an enterprise drive is about 30 terabytes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that has been at that size for some time, and it's mostly been because people haven't been That's consuming right. I it. think uh, we were looking this up, and it's been on the market for almost six years right now, and it's only just getting picked up. So um, yeah, we definitely feel that direct flash will allow us to double down on our advantages. We will build larger drives, uh, which will unlock all of these other benefits that we've already spoken about. Um, and if you look at uh, where Direct Flash goes, I'd say that, as always, we're sort of actively looking into future technologies and NAND's evolution uh, into QLC as QLC becomes more mainstream and even beyond. So it's an exciting time. 
Yeah, and and we and there's going to be multiple generations of QLC before we even start looking at you know penta level cell yeah, or, or yeah, whatever or, right. or hex level cell someday if we can. But right, that's that's those are again going to be orders of magnitude more complex. Correct. And so if you don't build in these sort of structural advantages ahead of time to be able to even approach those, then I, I don't know how you're going to going to use those in an enterprise system. Exactly, it's going to become nearly impossible to use. Which leads to a great question. So, so why isn't everybody doing this? Why are we, you know, for the most part, unique amongst enterprise storage vendors in that we don't just make a drive, right? It's not about just building a, a circuit board with flash chips on yeah, it, right. but it's about up leveling all of this. Um, flash media management and data placement sort of intelligence, why are we the only ones doing this? Well, to be honest, because this is really hard. <laughs> Our CEO, Charlie Giancarlo, has uh, one of the better answers I've heard to this question. Um, Pure spends 18 to 20% of its revenues on R&D, while the other incumbents in the storage industry spend closer to 5%, which, as Charlie says, barely suffices to keep the lights on. So taking on these intensive hardware, software, co-design, R&D projects that involve sort of ripping out the guts of your operating system and ripping out the guts of how you talk to media, um, building state-of-the-art telemetry, like all of these things are really hard and require tons of investment. And, and by the way, we've been doing this for almost 10 years now. So um, I'd say this is born out of a fundamental belief in the fact that the best systems products out there are the ones that come out of rigorous hardware and software co-design. Yeah. And that sort of mirrors the backgrounds of a bunch of us who are early uh, on, on these programs. And um, it's been great that Pure Management buys into this and is willing to fund these efforts to the level that they are. Well, I think that's a, that's a great uh, place to end it. Uh, Hari, thank you so much for your time today. This is a really awesome conversation. Thanks so much. It's been great being on this. And congratulations on the launch of Flashblade S. Thank you. And all the... Really excited to see where this goes. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Rob Ludman back here again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pure Report special guest series featuring Justin Emerson as our guest host around better science. More episodes coming on this topic in the future, but we hope you enjoyed that. Please keep listening, share with a colleague and a friend, and we will keep the great program content and great guests like Justin and Hari coming on to the show. And with that, we will wrap for Pure Stories, Justin Emerson and Hari Kanan. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. Mm -hmm.